Welcome to Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point, the B2B marketing podcast where we show you the proof in the form of case studies and success stories. And we get straight to the point with your hosts and founders of ProofPoint Marketing, Mike and Gabby Grinberg. Welcome back to Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point. We are so excited to be joined today by Steve Watt. Many of our listeners today are going to know him. He's a man who, by by all accounts, doesn't need a whole lot of an introduction today. But, um, but I will say just this, that he's the marketing director at Seismic. Previously, he was a VP of marketing at Grapevine that was acquired by Seismic. And today we are going to dig into a very exciting case study, case story, if you will, that Steve is going to talk to us today about one of his clients at Seismic, SAP, all about social selling, a big social selling campaign, uh, a topic that we are excited about, one that that we uh, love to discuss. And I want to read something out loud today on Steve's profile. This is something he posted not too long ago, and I think it really will help set the stage for what we're going to talk about here. This is from this Steve. This is from your post. It says, if all you do is hunt and pitch slap, you're not contributing to the conversation. You're not contributing to the community and you're not uh, helping others learn and prosper. So this I think that I, I love that, first of all. And second of all, welcome to the show, Steve. And third, we're excited to dig in because this is this is going to be a juicy topic. So, Steve, welcome to the show. And why don't you maybe set the stage for our listeners? What are we going to be talking about? What is this all about? Thanks, Gabby. And a uh, real pleasure to be here. And, and good to see you again, Mike. And yeah, you had me wondering there when you started with, I'm going to read something. Gonna... <laughs> you had me wondering too. I had no idea that was What's coming. What's it going to be? Oh no, I, I, I hope it was good. Um, yeah, that, that was uh, a piece of one of many posts that I do coming at my kind of central belief and my central topic from a lot of different angles. And and that's really, um, you know, I, I can cast it in a, in a, in an opportunity light or in a, in a risk light. you know, the opportunity is there's a massive opportunity for those individuals and those firms that really embrace what I like to call buyer centric social selling and, and sort of the negative slant on it is, most of what gets called social selling out there is pretty awful. And it's not something that is impactful or effective for the company. And it's not something that's very pleasurable for the people on the receiving end of it. Because as with what you just quoted there, Gabby, like a lot of what passes for social selling is, is hunting and pitch slapping people just, mm -hmm. Hey, LinkedIn's the, you know, this great oasis in the desert. And you know, there's all the, everyone I would ever want is there. Well, I'm the lion. I'm going to go in and I'm just going to eat them all. And I mean, like nobody wants to be hunted. Nobody wants right. to be your next meal. And the more senior you are and the larger your company, the more relentlessly you are hunted on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. So first you stop responding and then you potentially stop coming at all. And it's uh, it's counterproductive for you and your organization. And, and it hurts the entire community because LinkedIn can be, and, and in some ways is, so much more than that. You know, I Absolutely. think of it as a giant ongoing business conversation and those who really show up and speak up and bring value to the community and to the conversation 
they pull people towards them and they thrive. And, and those who just come in with a selfish hunting attitude and itching everyone who makes digital eye contact with them, well, they don't do very much and, and they certainly don't make a pleasure pleasurable experience for others. So that's in a, in a, in a nutshell, that's kind of what I believe. And, and uh, yeah. I have the great pleasure of working at Seismic, which is a company that is in many ways building a much brighter future for, for sellers, for marketers, but most importantly for buyers. You know, and you said something, Steve, that got me thinking, you know, you said, well, it's not a pleasurable experience for the people on the receiving end it's not a pleasurable experience for for the community at large but i also have to wonder those individuals that are you know trying to uh, like like we said the pitch slap that they're going on there and they're just pitch slapping everyone i really do question is it are they you know is it pleasurable for them are they enjoying what they're doing and part of me wonders like gosh maybe they just don't know a better way or they don't have the right the right skill set or the right nurturing or the right leadership in their organization to help show them the right the right way now there are some individuals and i think that we've all encountered them that they just don't care they go out there they do whatever they want they think that this method is going to work and maybe in some instances it does or it has in the past but I do, I do have empathy for 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 those folks that go on there on LinkedIn and that are just that are not shown the right way, or may may have old information, outdated information, outdated practices, um, which is why I'm so excited about this conversation <laughs> because we're going to open the floodgates for them. We're going to share with them, with everyone listening, the right way to go about this. You know, selling is hard. It's not an easy job. It's it's not it's all it's also not a glorious job. It can be a very grueling and tiresome experience. So um so that was just sort of my little soapbox moment of, of wondering, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not pleasurable on the receiving end, but I do have to wonder, is it pleasurable for you on the delivery side? Are you yeah. really enjoying what you're doing? And if you're I, not, I think in most cases you're absolutely right. It's it's right. not. They're 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 doing what they're told or they're doing what they've they've been taught to believe ought to be done or they don't know any other way and, and perhaps their leadership doesn't know any other way and and it's this this sense of just well you know high levels of activity and sales is a numbers game and just pound out connection requests and pound out pitches and and you know, I mean, the the, the problem—I mean, one of many problems with that—is that we only tend to count the wins; we don't count the losses. And in, in the sense that, if someone is doing that and they're they're burning their personal reputation and they're burning their company's reputation with 99 people to get one person to say, "Okay, sure, I'll talk to you," they only count the win, and yeah. they say, "Look, it worked. We got one." So let's now let's do this a thousand times and let's yeah. get 10, you know, um, but they're not counting the losses. They're not counting the, the, the reputational risk. They're not counting the, the, uh, the trust risk, the, the relationships being burned. I mean, if you only count the wins, well, really mm -hmm. anything can look like a winning strategy. And, yeah. But that's, if you take a more holistic view, that's not what's happening. Here. It's funny Absolutely. to bring that up because like you mentioned, it's a numbers game. And I, I think, it is actually a numbers game. The question is, what are the numbers that you're looking at, right? It's like, because like you said, well, if you just look at the wins and yeah, everything can look great. Um, but I think it's, it's very similar to what you see in marketing in general, right? Not, I know we're talking about sales in this case, but it's, well, 
Well, if we need more revenue, that means we need more leads. So let's just get as many leads as we possibly can. It's the same thing. You don't really think about well, what is this doing to to the sales team, to the SDRs that are getting these leads. Like, what is what is this doing to the to our reputation in terms of like how like people getting annoyed and uh, at the nurture sequences and all this stuff? It's it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's like it's looking at not just the volume, but at the quantity and kind of high finding that happy medium and all that stuff, which I'm sure we're going to get into. So I, I well, do. Speak, speaking of which, let's get to the, let's, should we get, let's, let's dive get... into the proof. We're all about the proof here. So Steve, set us up. Tell us about this campaign. Now, this is for one of your clients at Seismic, SAP. Set the stage for us. Tell us why this campaign, how did it come about? And if you can, uh, hit us with some really sexy stats right off the bat. We just want to, we want to get into it. Headline, you know, giant sales wins at SAP. Um, but to be clear, it's not a campaign and it's not Seismic's doing. It's SAP's long-term commitment and philosophy to really becoming leaders in social selling, or as they, they choose to call it, digital selling done right. Uh, we are very happy to be one of their partners and contributors to that success. But I want to be clear. Uh, this is them, not us. Um, okay. What it really, and it's a multi-year thing. It wasn't, um, it wasn't some magic. Uh, yeah, it's another thing. I want to talk about all the things people get wrong about social selling, thinking it's a magic bullet. You can just kind of turn it on. No, no. And, and we're going to get into talking about training. We can talk about different philosophies around measurement. I mean, we could go all day on this if you'd let me. So you'll have to keep me in check. But um, really what it boils down to is... SAP several years back recognized that a lot of the, um, the, the the old playbooks of sales were were in decline, having declining impact, and it was only going to get worse. People don't answer unknown callers. People use all sorts of ad blockers. People, um, you know, use all sorts of email filters and don't generally respond to prospecting emails from people they don't know. And they had the foresight to get in front of this years before a lot of other organizations and they have built the world's largest social selling um, program and, and capability as a result. And it's really built on two tools. We can talk about tools, but it's built on LinkedIn sales navigator and it's built on seismic live social. So that's where we plug in. Uh, but the credit goes to them because they do a tremendous amount of training and mentoring and measuring and over a long period of time with their people around the world, with their sellers, and also with, with many of their partners. Um, so they, they, they believe in it so strongly and see so much benefit from it that they don't even just keep it to their own sellers. They also enable and empower their partners, which is another place where they're leading the rest of the world. Because most of the big companies that have a partner channel, all they do is just kind of throw money at them. Like, hey, you know, run ads for us or, or, blast emails for us and we'll give you some money. SAP goes beyond that and says, how about we train your people and enable and empower your people to go be great on social. Mm -hmm. So very forward thinking of them, but the, the payoff, show me, show me the money, show me the proof, as you're saying, um, really comes down to the fact that their most, their active social sellers outperform the, those who are inactive on social. So they look at it. I mean, they look at many of your listeners are probably familiar with the SSI, the LinkedIn social selling index, which is the scale from zero to a hundred of how engaged you are and how good you are at engaging others on LinkedIn. 
And uh, in the software industry, I believe the average is about 30 or 32, pretty poor. SAP finds that if they can get their sellers up between 60 and 80, that's the sweet spot. And that's when all the good stuff starts to happen. And what is the good stuff? It's higher quota attainment, higher win rate, larger deal sizes, and shorter sales cycles relative to their low SSI peers, who are equal in every other way. And they've done the studies. They've, they've done them not only internally, they've done them in tandem with the Cary Business School at Johns Hopkins University. And we're actually doing it again. I was on a call about four hours ago with our program leader at SAP, uh, with a professor at Johns Hopkins, uh, and myself and one of my colleagues. And we're going back and, and studying this again. Wow. Uh, but but it's the, the proof is, is clear. If you can enable and empower your people to be good on social, they are going to outperform their peers who are not good on social. And the, the last number I saw from SAP, I believe it was about 160 or 165% average quota attainment wow. from their their sellers who have a, who have an SSI between 60 and 80. What revenue leader would not want large swaths of their sales team to be getting 160% of quota <laughs> attainment? I mean, that is just like, that is a dream come true. Well, what you're describing, they, it's, it's exponential growth, right? Oh, because you're yeah. saying if not only you're increasing deal size and you're shortening sales cycle, that's exponential growth. Yeah. And you're because increasing your win rate. So yeah. you have fewer of those cycles relative to the number of wins. Um, yeah, it, it just, it's just a, a mic drop moment for me across every revenue metric. And I mean, there's lots of different ways that people attempt to measure social selling. And, and in my opinion, they far too often have far too short a time horizon and far too tactical and transactional uh, metrics. Well, how many leads did you generate this week? You know, what's your response rate to in-mails? Who cares? What I care about is revenue. You know, if, if we can, if we can show that this helps you get into the right deals and move them more quickly and close them more effectively and grow them more effectively in a repeatable process, um, I'll, as a revenue leader, I would take that every day. And I don't care about the little short-term transactional metrics. I care about the revenue impact. And that is where I think SAP is leaps and bounds uh, ahead of a lot of other companies who are still stuck in really um, you know, short-term transactional mindsets and metrics. Mm -hmm. so I, I want to dig into that because I completely agree with everything you're saying. What do you believe is the kind of the minimum time horizon people should be looking at if they're going to implement this. And I, I'm sure it probably varies based on size of organization, but let's assume we're talking enterprise. Let's go there. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's probably something that you, you got to commit to for at least a year. Now I think you're going to start seeing some, some differences in six months and, but you're going to really start getting into the money after a year and beyond and SAP has been at this for, I don't know, five or six years now, yeah. but they were getting really great results in, you know, year two, that, that kind of thing. So it mm -hmm. doesn't, just cause I've been doing it six years. doesn't mean it takes six years. You know what I mean? Uh, it's, right. it's something, it's not, it's not a campaign. It's not a flavor of the month or flavor of the quarter. It is a go to market commitment. And, and it's, it's a, it's a, it's a way of understanding what they do and approaching the market. And it, it just keeps 
compounding upon itself. But yeah, I think realistically in, in a larger enterprise, if you were to sort of um, build out the mindsets and the skill sets and the tool sets over a quarter and get people really activated in the next quarter, and then you start seeing some kind of impact in Q3 into Q4, and it ought to be having a material impact uh, you know, on, I would suggest, you know, also you gotta think what's, what's the sales cycle time of these organizations and a lot of organizations it's, it, it's a year or more, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're not necessarily going to see a revenue uplift, but that's where you, you've got to get your metrics in line with, with your market and, and with the realities of your world. So if you do have a average 12 month sales cycle, let's say, and even if you are going to be able to bring it down somewhat. Well, maybe it's still going to be 10 months. So you're not going to see necessarily a revenue uptick in year one, but you're going to see all the the, the uh, leading indicators of that. You're going to see a lot of pipeline, mm-hmm. a lot of pipeline before that. I mean, in a, in a relatively early analysis of this, SAP identified $2 billion with a B, or rather, sorry, it was Euro, 2 billion Euro in incremental pipeline from social selling. And so, um, you know, I think that you kind of look in the early days, you look at, are we doing the right activities? And then you start looking at the, you know, in the mid range, is this growing our pipeline? And then the ultimate goal, of course, is this growing our revenue? So I want to ask and and dig into the metrics a little bit more, because again, completely agree with everything you're saying. The question is going back to the time horizon conversation, which is a lot of the time, especially in sales, that time horizons hit. Okay, you've got you got a month and you have a quarter. That's about as long as you're going to go. I mean, what I think they they say like average. Like if you miss more than a couple of months of quota, you're you're out, right? So it's like okay, if we're going to focus, and I know quota is not just due to social selling, but Mm -hmm. like. What are some of the early, early indicators? Like how should people be evaluating? Hey, is this working for me? Because I think you have to kind of look at it almost at the individual level too. Like, right. is this helping me? What can I what can I change? Like I sort of look at it like bog score versus end of game score, right? Did, did you win the game or lose the game? Yeah, okay, you know, that's revenue, that's pipeline. But what's the bog score? Like what are the assists and turnover metrics or whatnot that we're going to be looking at? Right. And I'll answer that in a second, but let me just address the first part of what you said. If presently you are failing, if presently you are not hitting your quota, if you're, you know, this is not a magic bullet. This is not, you know, going to fix all that ails you. Um, because if you're, if you're missing all over the place, there's problems in your organization, right? Maybe you don't have a proper product market fit. Maybe your your pricing model is all out of whack. Maybe your process is terrible. Maybe your people are not up to par. There, there could be dozens of reasons why you're failing today. And now bringing all those people and potentially all those problems onto social isn't going to make them go away. So in many cases, it's not about fixing broken companies and fixing broken sales organizations as much as it's about helping good ones become great. And getting, as SAP did, recognizing, okay, we're, we're doing a lot of things well, but we, we have enough of a forward view to recognize that some of the playbooks we're running and the tools we rely on today are, are maybe not going to be good enough in a few years. Let's get ahead of this. And I mean, so I want to be clear that it's not a salvation. It's not a band-aid. It's not a magic bullet. 
But if you are already, you've got a good product, you've got a good team, you've got a good process, you've got some success. Well, this is a way to kind of put that success on steroids. So that's the first thing. To your question about what are your early indicators, and you asked at more of a personal level, I think when let's take one individual who starts to participate in a in a buyer centric social selling program. So I like like in a, you went to baseball. I, I'll, I'll go to I'll go to hockey. How about that? Um, yeah. <laughs> well, you are you are yeah. living in the land of hockey. So. <laughs> I am Canadian, so yeah. It's it's whenever I have these conversations, part of me wants to go to basketball because I love basketball. And, ah, I'm just gonna go to hockey. Um, you know, you might as a coach have have ambitions for your team to run like incredible plays to be, you know, great two-way players where offense and defense and just amazing. But if they can't skate very well, you got a problem. If they can't shoot, if they can't pass, if they're in terrible shape, so they're winded on the bench, you know, there's a lot of fundamentals you got to get before you can start putting your plays together, right? So with social selling, it's like you just got to get your people beyond those fundamentals. So LinkedIn profiles in most firms are terrible, just terrible. They're, they're old resumes from five years ago, the last time you went looking for a job. They're bare bones, nothing. Or salespeople sometimes, they're arguably worse than that. They're like chest pumping brag sheets, right? Like I've exceeded quota nine quarters in a row. I've been to President's Club three years <laughs> running. And it's like, as a prospect, how does that make you feel? You know, I just, I, I look at this guy's profile. And I think that he doesn't care about me. He doesn't care about my industry. doesn't care about my company. doesn't care about my problems. He just cares about money. And I'm just money to him. You know, mm -hmm. not that that's not buyer centric, right? So you got to work with your people to have good profiles. You got to work with your people to understand why people are even on LinkedIn. Cause they're not on LinkedIn, as we said, to get hunted, to be hunted. They're not on LinkedIn to be advertised that they're not on LinkedIn for you. They're on LinkedIn for themselves. Mm -hmm. So you got to get people into a mindset of, okay, how can we understand what our buyers actually want from LinkedIn and how can we much more freely provide that? How can we give more than we take? How can we educate and inspire and share all the great things we're learning and not just have this transactional mindset of like, hey, you know, fill out our form or come to our webinar or we're hiring, you know, how can we make it about them, not about us, right? So you've, right. you've got you've got mindset work to do, you've got profile work to do, um, you and then you've just got basic engagement. You know, you want these people sharing relevant content. Well, let's measure that and let's make sure they are. And then you want them going beyond just pushing content out there. You want them commenting on relevant posts from other people let's measure that. Um, you want them growing their network, especially within their targeted accounts or their target industry. Let's measure that. So we, we haven't talked about pipeline and we haven't talked about revenue yet. This is foundational stuff. And if you like gloss over all of this and start saying, where's the revenue? Well, you're, you're, you failed before you've even started. It's back to the hockey thing. It's like <laughs> your guys can't skate and you're wondering why they're not playing beautiful two-way, you know, power play, you know, like, like it's just, it doesn't make any sense. So um, in the early days, work on all that stuff. Um, and then you've kind of got a baseline for what kind of activity they're doing, um, the frequency of their sharing, their commenting. You've got a baseline of, of their SSI, as we discussed earlier. 
Uh, you got a baseline of their their um, individual and their aggregate network size. You got all that stuff. Now you can start working on making it better every month, every month. How do we get better? And how do we train? How do we gamify? How do we incentivize? How do we continue to educate and inspire our own people to, to do this? And then, so as an individual, I want to make sure that I'm just getting better across all those things. And as a leader, I want to make sure that my team's getting better across all those things. Uh, and then I think the next thing is you start getting to the stories and uh, I'm getting some great stories from, from my sales colleagues at Seismic as, cause we're on this journey. We're not, we're not masters of this. We haven't perfectly solved this, but we're, we're getting pretty good. Um, the stories start coming out about, uh, you know, uh, a conversation that arose because of LinkedIn that led to a great opportunity or maybe a stuck deal that became unstuck mm -hmm. or maybe a, uh, a referral from an existing customer to a new customer. That all of these things came because of the trust and the relationships and the reputation that they as individuals are building on LinkedIn and that we collectively as a team are building on LinkedIn. And then you start socializing those stories within the company. And that helps to perk up the laggards, perhaps, who were kind of sitting on the sidelines to see if this was real. And so, oh, I want some of that. So now they're in there. And, and you know, again, we still haven't quite got the pipeline. We certainly haven't got to revenue, but this is important work. And, and, and then as you do this, then you start seeing the pipeline generate and, and those referrals and those introductions and those conversations start leading to actual opportunities that you're tracking and now you've got you've got pipeline to report on and then as those deals start getting closed you've got revenue to to report on and and it just keeps it's like getting that flywheel spinning but most people and most companies quit before they they ignore the early stuff they expect immediate gratification they want early wins or or like I said a few minutes ago they want it to fix magically fix a fundamentally broken organization and then they quit uh and they say social selling doesn't work it's like no mm -hmm. no you did it wrong yeah yeah i want to gabby i know you're trying to get it to i, I am and you wanna, keep taking my <laughs> i just want to emphasize i want to emphasize this one thing and then i know you want to you, you want to ask some questions so i think it it what you just actually just said again steve i think is critical it's that social is an amplifier in general and everything right and i think that's what people forget is whatever stuff you have that's already screwed up, if you put it on social, it's just going to look even worse. <laughs> and it's just like, that's something that that's true in marketing. It's true in, in, in social advertising, et cetera. It's just as true in social selling. So I want to, I wanted to emphasize that Gabby. Yeah. Take it away. Well, I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about the proof because we kind of, we, we were talking about the point and I love talking about the point. Mike is, Mike is notorious for getting straight to the point. And I want us to take, I want us to, to take a step back, take our listeners through the journey of the proof. So you had mentioned earlier in the conversation, Steve, that SAP had been very forward thinking and that they had noticed that some of the old sales playbooks, some of, you know, just wasn't working. Can you, and maybe you have this information or maybe you don't, but I'm wondering if you can share with us how they got to where they are today in terms of, you know, what were, what were some of the, the tools that they implemented? What were some of the um, training that they implemented? How did they get from, okay, this is a problem. We're seeing that, that, that our old, 
our old playbooks are not working to we need to drastically change the way that we sell. What was that process in, in that sticky, maybe crunchy, maybe uncomfortable process that we all don't like to be in? I'm wondering if you can shed some light on that part of the journey. Sure. And and the tool set is important, of course. And, and you know, as I, I mentioned, it's really built on LinkedIn Sales Navigator and Seismic Live Social. That's great. But they learned uh, very clearly that tools are not enough, that that and even basic training is not enough. It does take something more. You know, one of their mantras that I have adopted is this idea of mindset, skill sets, tool sets. And they actually tested that in a in a beautiful way. They took two groups of sellers and this is a different story from what I told before about the two groups of sellers. This is a different two groups of sellers. And what they did is in one group, they just trained them how to use Sales Navigator and how to use Live Social, got them proficient with the tools. The other group, they started with these mindsets about, about what it really means to be buyer-centric and what it really means to build engagement and what it really means to add value and why people are on LinkedIn. Then they moved into the skill sets around how do you write a great post? How do you take a piece of content and write an introductory comment that makes it compelling? How do you think about your content mix? And so one thing that they, uh, again, they're, they're just they're just ahead of the curve in so many ways where every other company or most other companies are out there just blasting their own corporate content. SAP says, we want 80% of the content that you share as an SAP salesperson not to be SAP content. If you are an SAP seller, let's say you sell into the automotive industry in the US, well, then 80% of the content that you share should be interesting and relevant to that audience should be able so what's going on in the auto industry what are the technological changes what are the regulatory changes what are the financial transactions what's going on in the industry you as a salesperson now you're learning a lot because you're constantly consuming and writing about this but you're also signaling to your buyers that you're walking many miles in their shoes and that you understand their world and then they say, and then 20% of what you share should be our, our content, SAP content. And you know what? It lands a heck of a lot better as a result because you have built some credibility as, as not just an advertiser, not just a guy pushing his corporate message, but as someone who actually has, has real subject matter expertise and real buyer-centric passion for the people that he or she serves. Um, and then that, that, corporate content gets a whole lot more traction. So it was the mindsets about all this. It was the skill sets about thinking through your content strategy, what you're going to share, how you're going to share it, when you're going to share it, how you're going to set it up, how you're going to engage with others. Then they went on to tool sets. And here's LinkedIn Sales Navigator and here's Seismic Live Social and here's how to use them and here's how they help you with that. So we got the two groups, tool training only versus this whole other thing. And the whole other thing group created seven times as much pipeline Wow! as the tool training only group. Another mic drop moment, right? That's amazing. I mean, yeah. What, again, what revenue leader wouldn't say like, hey, you know what? Or what enablement leader? Think about an enablement leader. Oh, yeah, we, uh, we, we train our people to use all our tools. Yes, we do. Well, are you focusing enough on mindsets and skill sets to go along with that? Yeah. Because they found 7x impact. So something I want to kind of go back to something you we mentioned the word playbooks a couple of times. And one of the things that I'd love to get into, this is going to get a little bit more theoretical, I think, but the 
Playbooks are awesome, but I think playbooks are also a problem in certain cases. And I'll, what I mean by that is playbooks, when they're done right, they're living, breathing documents. They evolve. I think what a lot of companies will do is they'll build a playbook and that's it. Like, they're like, oh, yeah, playbook's done. We're all good to go. And they never actually evolve. So I, I, the question I'd like to ask you is, like, what has change like you mentioned you know whether we talk about SEP or whether you guys are doing a seismic or whatever but like they've been doing it for six years things are very different now than they were six years ago right in terms of how people interact what they want all this stuff so I'm curious like what do you believe is the next thing like what's the next best practice or whatever maybe that needs to go by the wayside or what's the next thing that needs to change to keep and needs to evolve for in social selling yeah, that, that, that's a big question. Um, let me answer it in two parts. Um, the second part will be what needs to change in social selling. But let's just go one step back. What needs to change in B2B selling more broadly is, um, you know, I think everybody is following those same outbound, you know, so how what's it been 10 years or whatever since Aaron Ross wrote predictable revenue and everyone said, awesome, let's do that. And and, and he wasn't wrong. like. It, great it's great until everybody does the exact same thing and everybody's tired like they got sdrs calling them and cadencing them and you got you got people bragging about having 30 touch cadences across you know multiple touches on the same day across multiple channels and people are just going like oh god leave me alone and people people don't answer unknown callers anymore well, 10 years ago people still answered unknown callers now they don't right uh 10 years ago i think people Steve, were i like, don't even answer calls that i know right <laughs> yeah, really. well, did you guys see that story from a couple days ago guy was lost in the mountains oh yeah, yeah. And he didn't answer his phone it was the rescuers trying to call him he didn't answer yeah, because he recognized well, the number that's just <laughs> that's the, the the what you just said is like i, I want to emphasize this which is you have to be careful about what is the data actually telling you which is like because you see this all the time oh well you know the average sale takes 25 touches and every time every every time you hear it it grows it grows it grows you're like well hold on a second is that because it takes more touches or because your touches suck and everybody <laughs> hates them and they just, you know like what is the data actually telling you? And this is a perfect example. I make like, the guy didn't answer. He's like, oh, that was a telemarketer. I'm stuck in the woods. I don't want to talk to a telemarketer. Yeah. Yeah. And if that guy wasn't answering his phone, why do you think like the VP of IT at some billion yeah. dollar company you're trying, why do you think he's going to answer the phone? You know, it's not going to happen. Right. And, and same with, with email. I mean, so I, I fundamentally believe that, you know, you know, that, that meme where there's like, everyone's lined up at one table and, and nobody's lined up at the other table kind of thing. It's like, everybody's doing this yep. and nobody's doing that. I, I, I picture there's two tables where everybody's lined up at, and one of them is, is um, iterating and tweaking outbound selling. And every company seems to spend a tremendous amount of time and effort um trying to squeeze tiny incremental gains out of their outbound. Well, what if we change the cadences? What if we change, you know, um, what, what about, well, we got a, we got a, you know, AB test the subject lines constantly. And should we have three bullet points or two? Um, should we name big companies or small companies when we get to the proof section? Um, you know, what, what call to action should we have? And, and what tone of voice should we be formal and authoritative or should we be playful? Oh, what personalization should we use? And they just, like massive investment in in outbound emails. Well, do you even read those emails? I don't. 
Like as soon as I land in my box, I don't know who it's from. I read the first two words and I immediately see it's a prospecting email and I delete it. So all that effort's lost on me and I don't think I'm alone. So a whole lot of people lining up at that table and, and, and working endlessly to try to squeeze tiny gains at outbound. And then I think there's a whole lot of people lined up at the, the inbound marketing table. And I mean, think about the amount of effort that goes into SEO and SEM and CRO and, and all the other and content creation, content syndication, all that. And, and I'm not disparaging. Let me be clear. I'm not disparaging either of those. If I was a CEO, I'd have a good outbound team doing that. And I'd have a good inbound team doing that. My point isn't don't do them. My point is don't only do those things. Um, that, that, that social selling is the table that nobody's lining up at. And I believe if you put even a fraction of the effort that you're putting into these two things into what I've been talking about, the payoffs would dwarf that because these are already incredibly competitive areas. They're already tuned up really nicely. And so what you're really doing is trying to squeeze tiny incremental gains while ignoring an area where right now you do nothing or you do it really poorly and fundamentally. And and if you actually put, put some effort here, it could be huge. So I think, so what do I think, so I'm still answering the, your, your pre-question, Mike. What do I think needs to change in, in B2B selling is um, take some of the effort you put into these and put it here. And, you know, um, and, and um, the outbound selling and inbound marketing alone are not, they're, they're necessary, but they're not sufficient. So that's one thing. So now once you're actually doing social selling, I, I think what needs to change and improve there is the, uh, well, really the mindsets and the metrics. So we talked about the mindsets about, it, you know, shouldn't be a hunting activity. It shouldn't be thought of as only a top of funnel activity and a lead gen activity. I, in fact, I believe some of the biggest impacts of social selling are not about, about top of funnel. They're not about lead gen and they're not even about new client acquisition. In many cases, they're about building the, the kind of trust and broadening your broadening and deepening your penetration of existing client accounts such mm-hmm. that you increase your retention, you increase your expansion. Um, and, and you're just building a, a, a highly defensible position within the hearts and minds of all these people, instead of just being a company that supplies them with software or whatever it is, services you do. And then you come looking for a renewal or you come looking for money periodically. Instead, like you, I mean, every, every company talks about being a strategic advisor, being a trusted partner and everything. Um, but if you're not really enabling and empowering your people to go beyond having one-to-one conversations and zoom calls with people like you know you're kind of missing a big part of that i want i want everyone in in like seismic client organizations i want everyone in those organizations to know us appreciate us trust us and go like those guys are good and i say it's not just they're good like they make good software they're good people. Mm-hmm. They're passionate people. They're experts. Everywhere I turn, I see them and I see them doing good things, not just pitching, not just hunting. I see them being good people and educating and inspiring the community. And like that creates a, a really defensible position. So I think the mindsets need to improve around social selling and, 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 and parallel with that, the metrics need to change and not just be about, how many leads did you create this month? Uh, how much revenue can we 
directly attribute to a LinkedIn post because it usually doesn't work that simply. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess what maybe a little bit more, a little bit deeper, like what I was thinking about when I asked the question is, you know, again, when we think about playbooks, playbooks become really, really tactical. I think this is where they get stale in the sense of, okay, like right now, the I'll call it top of the line social selling playbook, which I know we're going to get into some of this in a little bit here, but you know, it's okay. Engage for real comment on people, other people's posts, get the actual engagement going, then maybe go in some DMS, have, have messages back and forth, then talk to them, maybe get them on a, on a video, like actually get to know them, whatever. And then maybe at some point you can have a sales conversation. Like that's the, the, at a very high level, the, the sales, the, the social selling playbook. But then what happens when everybody's doing that. Everyone's going, oh, okay, well, I just got to, I see, I have to find the right people. I have to comment on their posts. And all of a sudden, yeah, sure. You're getting a bunch of comments, but are they really good? And I think, I guess where I question and I wonder is what's the next thing? What's the next evolution of this? Because at some point everyone will catch on just like everyone cut on an email at some point, which is why now we're going, yeah, you know, it's good. I'm just deleting this. Yeah. I mean, well, I think honestly, I think we're years away. I mean, the, the active effective buyer centric use of LinkedIn right now is so small. We're already in the, about you, you wanted to talk baseball. We're in the first inning. <laughs> like we seriously are in the first inning here. Um, I mean, just look, take a look at any big company. Uh, and you can, you can look in, uh, if you've got sales navigator, you can look and you can look at their salespeople and you can look at how many of them have posted anything in the last 30 days. You're hard pressed to find a company where it's more than 10% of their people. Like 15% would be a real high watermark. And then if you actually spot check some of them, what are they posting about? It's almost entirely just reposting their company content. The number of people doing what I'm talking about in big companies is infinitesimally small. And as you go down market, it doesn't get any better. The only place it gets better is when you go way down market to like solopreneurs and, you know, independent consultants and leaders of very small agencies. Like it seems a lot of them get it and they're doing it really well. <laughs> and and you hear the same stories again, again and again, right? It's like, well, I really got serious about LinkedIn a year or two years, three years ago. And it's like transformed my business and oh my God, <laughs> you know, um, some we the, tell that story. So yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you, like, I mean, some of the much smaller organizations are getting it figured out and it's amazing. Right. But the, the further, you know, it's, that's not happening in the mid market and it's not happening at the enterprise. So I am honestly not even concerned with what happens when everyone is doing this and doing it well, because mm-hmm. I'll probably be retired by then. Like, honestly, <laughs> there's years, years of opportunity ahead of us. There's opportunity ahead of us to do it right. And there's risk if we don't do it and our competitors do. Yeah. So I'm focused on what, what can organizations do over the next five years to not get left behind? And, yep. and I, I firmly believe it's exactly what we're talking about today. Well, no, so Mike, with no, that, no, I no, think, no, 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 I need no. to say something. <laughs> I thought we were, I thought we were going to transition. See, we're not on the same page. Right Mike's now. had enough of me. He's like, well, let's just end this. No, no, <laughs> I was going to go into the details. I have been trying to get a word in edge. Not, not you, Steve. Not you, Mike. Mike keeps jumping in whenever there's a pause. Don't unmute. No. Yeah, please. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Steve, I bet this has been burning within me for the past like 10 minutes here. Three words, and I want to know, are they the same or are they different? 
personal branding, thought leadership, social selling. Are these activities the same? Because everybody, at least the people in my network and in, 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 in and that I and whom I know and associate with on LinkedIn, it feels as though these terms are used interchangeably. So I want to know your thoughts on that. I think they, I think you're 100% right that they are used interchangeably. <laughs> now, the, the question is, ought they to be used interchangeably? Is that right or not? Um, I, th I think they all start in the same plate. They have a single source, right? A single mother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they come from the same place. They manifest themselves in a little bit different ways. Um, and, and I think, but we also, there, there's a lot of baggage around all of them. So I, I do think if you, if you forced me and I'd say, yeah, they're the same thing, but, but they're not really, but kind of, I, I, I think the thing is that people are so quick to want to hang a label on things. And, and also because we do all bring our own baggage to them. Like I've spoken to some people, you know, sometimes in, in a sales process where I'm having this conversation with a prospective client and our champion will say, don't say social selling. Like that word's been burned around here because we went through this whole thing three years ago and it was a nightmare. Don't say that. Like, I love what you're doing, but don't call it that. Like, <laughs> okay, let's talk about elevating your people as, as subject matter experts. Let's talk about thought leadership. It's the same thing. We're just calling it something different, right? Because that term got burned. Um, thought leadership, that term can get burned by self-serving people who put in their LinkedIn headline, I'm a visionary, I'm a thought leader. And it's like, yeah, you don't call yourself that. You know, if anybody else ever calls you that, thank them, but don't call yourself a thought leader. Don't call yourself a visionary. You start, you know, you start seeming very vain and uh, overinflated. Yes. Yeah. Self-aggrandizing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then, uh, oh yeah, yeah. You also, personal branding. Like, I mean, yeah, that, 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 that term has been burned in a lot of minds. Honestly, it's been partially burned in my own mind by selfish, superficial behavior. And like, is it personal branding? If I pose in front of a Lamborghini, it's like, you know, <laughs> even if you know, that was, even if you owned that Lamborghini, it would still be pretty pathetic. And I know I'm, you I'm, don't. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad that you mentioned that because Mike and I had a conversation. I'm not going to say who this person is. Cause I think if I, I, I don't want to name names and this is not about name dropping, but, you know, we had seen an individual on LinkedIn who has a strong following and that's their shtick. They, they, they pose with these larger than life uh, uh, things and, and things that other people can aspire to and attain to. And, you know, there's a time and place for that. And I, but I do wonder, is that really, is that really on LinkedIn? Is that for LinkedIn? And and yeah. is that is that for you or is that for somebody else? And then the, and then it kind of begs the question of you know the other the other word when you hear thought leadership, personal branding, social selling, the other the other word that gets tossed around there is value. And to me, the word value has no value, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, you know, Steve, when you're talking to people and, and you do a phenomenal job of, on this on LinkedIn, you really break it down beautifully and eloquently and in very, you know, no fuss terms and in very plain terms, like this is what it's all about. But when you talk to people and you hear these words being tossed around interchangeably and you hear the word value being added in there, how do you cut through that? And, and how would you, 
you know, educate somebody who's who's saying, well, we need to do blah, blah, blah on, on social media. We're going to get everybody on active on social media. How do you cut through that? How do you yeah. how do you get to the core and the crux of what it is? Because when you hear these words, like you said just now, they've they, they're getting a bad rep. And they're and they're leaving an unsavory taste in people's mouths. What's the core? What's the crux? What are we really talking about here? Yeah, I think that's a, such an important question. And I I try and thank you for the kind words about my my uh, posting on LinkedIn. Um, I I try not to label stuff. Uh, I don't ex I don't never label it, but I generally don't label it. I tend to talk more about what we're trying to accomplish and why it's good for sellers, why it's good for marketers, why it's good for buyers, why it's, it's you know, fewer labels and more meat, I guess, in terms of really understanding why people are on LinkedIn and why they're not, understanding how you can build trust and relationships and reputation with them or how you can destroy those things, how you can advance your career and your business interests or how you can fail to do that. You don't need to hang a label on it. Um, and, and at the end of the day, I'm, I'm a lot more concerned with people getting to the headspace of what's possible, the, the headspace of, of what's at risk if your competitors get there and you don't, and then the right sorts of mindsets and skill sets and activities and measurements and all these things that are going to help you thrive. And if you want to call it personal branding, you want to call it thought leadership, you want to call it employee advocacy, you want to call it brand ambassadorship, you want to call it social selling, you want to call it modern selling, have at it, mm -hmm. right? It's, mm -hmm. it's at the end of the day, I don't care what you call it. What I care is that you understand how to do it well. And, 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 and also understand to, to recognize when it's being done poorly. Yeah. Yeah. So that sorry if that's, a cop, well. if that's a cop out answer, but, but no. like that, that's how I avoid the, the baggage of all those different yeah. terms. Cause I, I, you know, they're, they're all, they've all been burned to some extent yes, um, yes. and, and, and to a big extent in some people's minds. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I don't think it's a cop out answer at all. I think it's I, I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. I think that, uh, you know, for different people, different words are going to resonate. Others are going to be like, you know, like, don't talk to me about that. I don't want to hear that. Um, and and and, you know, to your point, sometimes labels scare people. Sometimes you say something and they're saying, gosh, I can't do that. Or I don't have the skill set for this. Or I don't have the right audience for this. I don't have this. I don't have that. Sometimes when you put a label on things, I think we, we as humans, but definitely as marketers, we try to put labels on things. We try to put things into categories because it helps us think mm -hmm. about them and, and sort them. But sometimes that does more damage than than good and and uh no i, I appreciate yeah. your and i'll sometimes explicitly word a post similar to what i said there i'll say look you know call it call it a b c or d at the end of the day what we're trying to do is this right. and, and here here's how we can do it well and here's here's the watch outs don't do it don't do it poorly and then yeah. uh, choose your own adventure you know <laughs> call yeah. it, call it what you want but hopefully you're absorbing the message but yeah. do it do it the right way yeah no absolutely 
Well, now I think I think we've definitely reached the point in the conversation where we want to get to the point. You've showed us the proof. You've you've shared with us how and we got a little a, philosophical. We did get a little <laughs> philosophical, which is great. Um, but let's talk about how. Let's talk about getting to the point. So we we talked, you know, we kind of touched about on this a little bit. Um, and and you mentioned this, Steve, that that the that the percentage of the of the companies and and salespeople and leaders and and business owners, business leaders that are doing this on LinkedIn is so infinitesimally small to, to use your words there. Um, right. We're just touching the tip of the iceberg. So how do we, through this podcast, through show me the proof, get to the point, we're going to change the way people think about this stuff here. Where should one begin? Where let's, you know, you said mindset, tool set and skill set or mindset, skill set and tool set, which I love those frameworks. Um, let's talk, let's start with, with mindset, getting to the point here, how can an organizational leader, um, or business owner or, or, or sales leader, whatever their title is, how do they get started with something like this? How do they get started with enabling and empowering their team to do social selling, personal branding, thought leadership, ABC, <laughs> one or two or three of the above for enter word here. Let's start, let's start with mindset. What, what yeah. where do we begin? I'd start by having a conversation about why are you on LinkedIn and, and get people talking about why. And I'll tell you, they're not going to say to jump on calls with salespeople who, who direct message me. And they're not going to say to read a bunch of ads and to fill out a bunch of forms. No one's going to say that. Get them talking about why they're on LinkedIn. And you'll hear them talking about what they're learning. You'll hear them talking about uh, the new relationships that they're forming. You'll hear them talk about the old relationships that they're maintaining and 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 that, that are not fading into history. I mean, that Thanks to LinkedIn, many of us still have some degree of a relationship with someone we worked with 15 years ago that otherwise we would have forgotten about each other as we moved our separate ways. Um, they'll talk about if they are someone who posts on LinkedIn, they'll talk about um, that they are getting better at enunciating their beliefs and, and their their approaches to whatever their career is, you know, so get people talking about all the reasons why they are on LinkedIn, especially those who are, who are reasonably active and, and, you know, maybe write them on a whiteboard or something like that. And, and, and then step back and reflect on like, okay, do you think that others are fundamentally different from us? Mm -hmm. Probably not. Right. Okay. So what part of this makes us think we're going to be successful if we hunt and pitch slap people and what part of this makes us think we're going to be successful if we just just advertise and we just post like just like on mass we all post we won an award our ceo was quoted in the news like none of that is interesting to us when other people do it why would it be interesting to them for us to do that? And that can be a little bit of a reboot of the mindset and, and a bit of a wake up call, I think, for some people. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, and then say, OK, now knowing what we know about ourselves and, and, and we're presuming to be true of many others, what could we do instead? And now you can start having a conversation about, well, maybe we could freely share 
information that will educate people, inspire people. We could tell some stories about, um, you know, things we're learning. We could share some data. We could, you know, we could think about the things that we're reading and, and you know, high quality things from, whether it's from news media, industry magazines, academia, we could share that and with our own comments and we could write our own posts and you start thinking, and now you've got a good brainstorm around things that people would actually care about and would actually help you build an audience. So I, I think that is the way I would recommend approaching mindsets is, is, you know, people say buyer centric all the time, customer centric, like people love to say it. <laughs> it's not usually not a lot of meat on the bones of it, right? Like what it really ought to mean is, is true empathy and true understanding of, of what their goals and objectives are. And in this specific case, what their goal and objective is of being on LinkedIn. And, and now how can we play into that um, rather than fighting it? So that that's where I'd start with mindsets. So I'm mm -hmm. curious, I, I always try to go to edge cases, but what do you do with somebody who is like, let's assume you're talking about your salespeople, I, which I have asked that kind of question. A lot of them go, I'm on LinkedIn because I want to sell. Like I, I, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to make some yeah. money. What's that? What's the answer to that? Well, how I, do you, I how do you that, build the right mindset with those people? Because they're usually the ones that are approaching it the wrong way. Yeah, but that true. Uh, um, but I, I guess the, the question is what about what other people are doing? Like who do you engage with and, and why? And I think, you know, here, here's, here's an interesting thing. Um, a lot of salespeople have never been on the other side of the desk, right? A lot of salespeople, they've they've spent their entire career in sales and they've never been the buyer they've never been the hunted they've only been the hunter so it sometimes it it uh you need to kind of force a bit of a bit of empathy into into here by having some other people speak up like who amongst us has been on the other side of the table mm -hmm. who's mm -hmm. been in you know a director or a vp role or something at some company where you had a budget for buying software, buying consulting services, buying advertising agency services, whatever it is. Okay, tell us what that's like. And 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 they say, well, <laughs> so like, how many how many prospecting emails did you get on a typical day? How many cold calls did you get? How many how many LinkedIn DMs did you get? I'm talking, and how many of them did you respond to? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you know, so like, I I do think you know I do believe that the best marketers have been in sales at some point in their career, and the, and and the best sellers have been in, in marketing at some point, but beyond that, it's not just the sales marketing thing. It's the sell buy thing. I think the best sellers and the best marketers have been buyers at some point. And I mean, I, I have been on the other side of the table in a lot of roles in, in my life. And, and I think it's really impacted the way I think about this because I think about when I bought software, when I bought marketing agency services, when I bought consulting services, yeah. how, how did I buy and, and why did I buy from who I did buy from? And I'll tell you, it wasn't because they cold called me. It wasn't because they cold emailed me. It wasn't because they hunted me on LinkedIn. It's because they educated and inspired me in, first in different ways, uh, through LinkedIn, through podcasts, through books, through conference speaking, through word of mouth from, from friends and colleagues. Um, there, there was always an element of education and inspiration that came first yep. um, that either made me reach out to them, which is the dream scenario for the seller, or primed me so that when they did reach out to me, I knew who they were. 
I mean, yeah. they as an individual, yeah. or at least they as a firm, it was like, oh yeah, I know that name. Those guys are good. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I will take that call. I will take that meeting. And, but if it, had I never been on the other side of the table, I might not have that um, ability to reflect on that. So yeah. I think to your question directly, Mike, if, if someone has only ever been in sales and they've only ever been taught a hunting mindset, um, they might, they might need to hear from, from some of their peers to help them develop that empathy. Yeah. yeah so I sometimes joke like, just go, why don't you go ahead and change your title to whatever CTO or, or CEO for a week. And then, then let's talk. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So there's something, maybe people should do that. That might be an interesting test to do. It ever, would be. Ever done that. But one of the things you mentioned in terms of kind of your experience on the, on the other side, and I think really what it comes down to is, you know, everybody, you hear people say this of, you know, relevancy is key. But the, no, what nobody ever talks about or thinks about it seems like is well, how do you develop rele relevancy? To me, there's there's two options, right? You can get lucky and you <laughs> accidentally send somebody because that has happened to me. And like, I've actually just happened to me the other day. Like somebody sent me an email, totally out of the blue. I'd never heard of the company before, but it happened to be extremely extremely relevant to something we were talking about. Turn on, like, you know what? I'll respond to this one. It wasn't a very good email. It was just very very lucky very time, relevant. Yeah. <laughs> it was luck. It was complete luck. On the flip side, if you build that relationship and you're able to know this person, what they're potentially going through, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you have that, you have access to relevancy, right? And then yeah, you, can you are, them. you are personally relevant. Yes. Yeah. You don't have to rely on the luck of the timing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I, I'm a big believer in what mm -hmm. I like to call the power of who, you know, I, I think that people are too obsessed with what? Of, of sales and marketing and, and they don't think enough about who. So the what is all the things we've been talking about, like, you know, what's the cadence? What's the email outreach? What's the personalization? Oh, I'm sending an email to Mike. So I'm going to make some reference to, you know, the fact that you're, you know, the co-founder and co-leader of an agency and you went to this school and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Or I'm going to make some something about some sports team that I saw you mention on Twitter or something like that. You know, it's what, it's always what, 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 and it's, it's never who. Uh, like, who am I? And, and who is my company? And, and like, I don't mean in terms of telling you that in the email, I mean, in terms of you already knowing, because yeah. of these other things we've been doing, when I'm sweeping all the emails out of my mailbox every morning, so I can get to work. Um, <laughs> the first thing I look at is who before what? Is it from a colleague? Is it from a customer? Is it from a prospect? Is it from a partner? Is it someone I should care about? Um, and if you are someone who is active on LinkedIn or you're active doing podcasts and conference speaking and stuff, oh, even if I'm not doing business with you yet, it's like, oh, I know that name. Right. And the next, the next best thing to knowing your own name is at least knowing your company name and being like, ah. Oh. Um, so for me, the who comes before the what. And, and I barely even care about the what, because if you didn't pass the who test, I kind of figure <laughs> you're just, you know, you're just one of 20 sales emails, prospecting emails that are between me and the work I need to get done. Yeah. And I'm going to delete them pretty damn fast. So um, I think get you, on the who, you know, <laughs> you just encapsulated everything that matters, at least from my perspective, when trying to pitch something like this to an internal thought leader or, or your sales leader or your marketing leader or, or people in your organization that may be naysayers that may say, gosh, I just... I don't want to do this. I'm not comfortable with it. I don't know how to engage on LinkedIn. This 
five minutes right here. Not that the rest of the conversation was Just delete the rest and roll with this. There we go. We got it. We'll no. call it we'll call mm-hmm. it the power of who and you can just the delete the last hour. No, no. The last hour has been <laughs> phenomenal. But the last five minutes in particular, Steve, you nailed it on the head because you've just described the everyday activity that everyone does. Who's emailing me? Who's contacting me? And why do I care about this person? Not what, not what you're selling, not what tool you want to give to me, not, you know, and I think that is the, the, the crux of the issue that most, that, that everyone in business today is feeling the pain of these pitch slaps or the cold emails or God forbid, whoever thought about a cold uh, FaceTime. FaceTime. Right. That blew up all of a sudden. Yeah, that's horrible. <laughs> yeah. Horrible, yeah. So, and Gabby, I'm thinking, glad I don't question, have an iPhone. I'm thinking the question you asked 10 minutes ago, is this personal branding? Is this social selling? Is this thought leadership? Who cares? It's who. Right. It's who. It's, it's, it's who are you? And who and do I care? You? And if you can I'm... make yourself someone that I, I recognize a little bit, I respect a little bit, I like a little bit. I, well, you've just, ele- you know, you've just elevated yourself above 99% of the other names in my email box. So Steve, well, what you're saying is if I email you out of the blue tomorrow, you're going to, you're going to respond to my email, right? I absolutely <laughs> will. You're, you're a who, Mike. Yeah. Both, and you, Gabby too. Yeah. No, but seriously, look, I mean, we, we, we met on LinkedIn. We, we conversed there. Then Mike, you and I had one or two calls a while ago, not because you're trying to sell me services, but because we're doing what people do and we're getting to know each other. And now I'm on this podcast and now we do know each other and, and uh, hopefully we like and respect each other. Uh, I do for you. Well, we'll see how you feel about me, but, but we have become real who's for each other, right? In a pretty big way in that, I mean, if I didn't hear from you for a year and then your name popped up, I would immediately remember you. Like we, we've gone to like a big who, right? But there's a lot smaller who's along the way. It's like, <laughs> I mean, if you're just, if if you as an individual and your colleagues and your firm are just active good citizens on LinkedIn, you can at least get to like the, the, the you know, the lowercase who, not a big who, you're not, you know, Seth Godin, <laughs> you're not Gary V, but you know, you're a lowercase who. You're like, oh, I kind of recognize that name. I kind of, I have a, just a, a flicker of recognition and a flicker of good feelings. I think yeah. I'm at least going to read that email. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we, and that, and that is, sorry, Mike, one, one last point here. I, I, as we were talking, I was thinking who, who, this word who keeps hopping into my head. There's the who, who has the song, <laughs> who are you? And then there's that, that was popping in my head. And then, you know, uh, uh, Horton hears a who, you know, Dr. Yes. Seuss, all these things, That's what very, I was just thinking about. very fundamental, very simple words, simple concepts, things that we learn as kids, who, what, where, why, but it's simple. And that's really what, what we're talking about here is making it simple, making it accessible, making it about the person, not about the what. Uh, and so I, I love that, Steve. All right, very quick, Mike. Did you have something you wanted well, to? Well, what ask I was going to say is, we talk mindsets. Let's talk tool sets. Let's talk tool. Oh, sorry, skill sets. Skill sets. Oh, skill set. Okay, skill yeah. Let's sets. because I think that I do. I completely agree with every, like that that whole path, if you will. Um, and I think the skill sets is something that also is very often forgotten. So what what are what are the skill sets that you believe a good social seller, let's just say, needs to have? And how do you train those skill sets in a team of people? 
Right. Yeah. So there's a lot of them and they all fit in nicely under the mindsets, right? Because now we know what we're trying to accomplish and uh, we know kind of what is impactful and trust building and what is not. So now how do we do it? Well, that's how we get into skill sets. So we, we touched on a few of these before, but you know, wh what's my, what's my content strategy? What kind of content am I going to share? How much of my own company content? How much industry content? Um, how much personal content? I mean, a lot of social sellers get a lot of success selling or rather sharing content about, you know, golf or tequila or like whatever, something that music, you know, travel, like these things are part of like, we bring our whole selves to work now. Why can't we bring our whole selves to LinkedIn? Right. Uh, but if all you talk about is golf, well, that's kind of weird, you know? So you got to think about, you know, one skill is your content strategy. What makes sense to you and what is going to be relevant to your audience. And, you know, if you're selling to, uh, you know, fortune 500 HR leaders, you're probably going to need a different content strategy than if you're selling to uh, owners of small businesses, for instance, right? Um, so what what makes sense to you and 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 what's going to make sense to the people you're reading? So, so content can strategy. Pause, can we pause there yeah. real quick and dig in a little bit more because I mean, content strategies are jam. And what uh, what I want to dig into is like how sort of the how do you figure that out? Like how do you figure out? what your personal content strategy should be. Like we build these for companies and we try to instill some of that into the personal brands that we try to help people build. But how, how do you believe a personal content strategy should be built? I think of it like eating a balanced diet. Um, no matter how healthy spinach is, you can't live on spinach alone. Right? <laughs> and so it's not a matter of like, what's the one thing? Or I think that's where a lot of people fall down. Um, I think of it as a balanced diet and um, you're going to, you're going to eat different things that will make your diet healthy, but also pleasurable. And there's nothing wrong with some sweets, but if right. all I, you, if all you eat is cake, gonna, you're going to have a problem, right? I was just going to say, you know, I've been eating some Halloween candy over the past few weeks and uh, should not have bought those candies earlier, but they bring joy to my day and I like them and they pick me up in the afternoon. So on the flip side, you can't eat spinach all the time, but you also can't. You can't, can't eat mini Mars bars all the time. No, either. you yeah. just can't. So, so I think of content like that, right? Um, so you've got these different food groups and like, the the Halloween candy, that's just the fun stuff, right? I think you should have some fun with your content. You should mix in a, a GIF or a meme or something, have a bit of fun, you know? But if that's all you do or that's primarily what you do, it's gonna be pretty hard for you to be taken seriously. Um, but at the same time, if all you share is like super serious, heavy duty, you know, academic research, you're gonna have a real hard time generating any engagement or enthusiasm, right? Mm -hmm. So, and if all you share is your own company's content, well, then you just look like an advertising robot. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't share any of your company. Of course, you should share some of your company's content. So there's a lot of different food groups out there. And, and so I think it's about um, sampling them and, and mixing them in ways that feel right to you. Part of it is just what feels right to me and what do I believe I know about my audience. And again, I'll make the difference between a, a Fortune 500 HR leader versus a owner of a small business. I'm making some assumptions about what they would appreciate. It's not going to be right in every case, but it's probably going to be right in the aggregate. Um, but then I'm also 
learning as I go. It's an iterative thing. And I'm seeing, well, yeah, you know, when I have a little fun, actually good things happen. Or uh, when I have a little fun, yeah, it kind of falls flat. And then the more serious stuff does better for me. So it's a combination of what feels right to me and and what um, feels aligned with my own self-image and in and, and my perception of my audience. And then it's also fed back to me by what they engage with. And I also like to say, people often ask me, they say, should I share personal content or business content? And what I say is, well, mostly what I do is I share business content with a personal voice. Mm-hmm. Like it's most of what I share is business content in some way, but I try to bring a really authentic human voice to it, a bit of humor, a bit of, you know, self-deprecating humor in cases or, or like, just like, it's a human reflection on a serious topic that works for me. I, I am sure that I am too casual for some people and I'm probably not casual enough for others, right? You can't please everyone. So uh, build, think, think of it as a, as a mixed diet and, and, and sample a lot of different things and go with the mix that feels right and learn as you go and adjust as you go. What's well, the I, I role you good... think of the, of the organization? Like, again, if we're talking enterprise, let's just say, what's the role of the company and the leadership to help the individuals figure out what their content strategies are? Or do you think that's totally up to the individual? No, I, th- I think that uh, the, the company does have a real role there. I, I'll, I'll reference back to uh, SAP saying it's not it's not a hard and fast rule. It's a guideline. 80 percent of your content should not be our content. It should be relevant to your audience. Industry content, 20 percent SAP. That's not a rule as much as it's a it's a mindset. It's a guidance. It, it takes people. It's a bit of a wake up call for people who think that LinkedIn is just for sharing your company content and go, whoa, my company wants me to share it. You know, and they might not. They might share 50-50. That's a heck of a lot better than they would have done without that that uh, guidance because they probably would have shared 100% their company content, right? So, yeah, I think the company does have a role in that. And and um, the company has a reputation and a brand and a voice and all these things. And some companies are more conservative and serve more conservative audiences and others not. So, yeah, the company's got a role. But I, but I don't think that the company ought to be trying to turn everyone into a robot. And so I think that the company needs to sort of set the tone and 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 empower their people to find their own voice sort of within the parameters of of what makes sense. And you know, I do, I talk to leaders in a lot of companies and some of them fully embrace the idea that people should absolutely talk about golf and tequila and hockey and whatever and others are pretty uncomfortable with that then neither of them is is inherently right or wrong it's like kind of like what works what makes sense for you but give people some room because within the context of your company your each company is different and each industry is different but also even within any company people are different so give give them some room or else they're not going to feel at all empowered here yeah yeah. Um, you don't want them just to be an extension of your advertising program. You want them to be real humans. So you got to give them some room. Very quickly, Steve, let's talk about, we talked mindset, skill set. Let's round out the conversation, talk about tool set. What do you believe are the most important, you know, let's talk about like sort of bare bone tools and like the Cadillac, what, or, or the Tesla or what insert, whatever <laughs> car that is your dream, Lamborghini. Uh, you know, what, what, what should people be thinking about when they think about tool stack, tool set, uh, 
give us your thoughts there. Sure. Well, I mean, at the most basic, you can just do it with a, a free LinkedIn profile and nothing else. I mean, just show up, speak up, be an active participant. Uh, hopefully you are, you're learning lots and you got something to say, share it. Um, hopefully you read lots of stuff anyways, just out of interest and in how you stay on top of your game, share some of it. Um, so you can do it for free with free LinkedIn. Um, as you start saying, okay, how can we kind of make it more efficient, more effective? How can we bring some kind of um, guide rails, guardrails into this? Um, especially if you're, I mean, if you're in a regulated business, um, like financial services, you can't just let people run wild. Um, also, if you want to bring in some real measurement and be able to aggregate the impact of all of this, well, then you start needing, you start needing some tools. Um, no surprise, I'm going to advocate for, for my company and my tool. So LinkedIn live, so or rather seismic live social is exactly that it's, it's the, it's the, it's content that is uniquely relevant for each of your people that like helps them choose, you know, basically our, our tool looks at 150,000 articles a day from 11,000 publishers, gets rid of all the garbage, classifies the rest and delivers it to each of your people based on the parameters of what they're interested in, what they know their audience is interested in. So if all three of us worked for the same company, we'd have an entirely different stream of content because we serve different industries and different professions. So that plus the, the, the risk management features, plus the measurement features. Now you've got an enterprise grade scalable way of doing this, but I would never advocate that you have to buy our tool or any other tool. I mean that, uh, you know, walk before you run, like, you know, maybe start with just <laughs> get your people doing something and, and doing it, doing it to the best of their ability. And once you've got some kind of momentum, then it's like, okay, how, do, how do we scale this? How do we, how do we get better? How do we measure it? Okay. Now it's time for tools. So, uh, seismic live social works beautifully there. And of course, um, if this is fundamentally a social selling activity, as opposed to just a broader brand advocacy, then LinkedIn sales navigator is obviously a, a vastly powerful tool. And, and, and our two tools play very well together and can be the backbone of a, of a very powerful program. Absolutely. Steve, we could easily keep going and going and going just because this has been so delightful to talk to you and you've dropped so many just really hard truths and, and value. Here, I use that word valuable, <laughs> valuable information, good information, things that people need to hear, things that people, if you are active on LinkedIn, or if you're thinking about, you know, a social selling program or enabling your team to have a voice and develop a brand, again, whatever, whatever uh, strategy you, you want to label it or at any, any way that you want to label it, this conversation has been phenomenal. We've loved talking to you. Steve, you've showed us the proof. You've gotten to the point. Now let's get to the lightning round. Before we actually go to the lightning round, Steve, really quick, I know you said you said you're a hard stop, which I believe we are at. Are you uh, okay going for uh, how, how quick are we talking? Uh, we can do it in two, two minutes. minutes. Do it. Okay. All right, Steve, what's the main KPI you use to evaluate marketing success? Revenue. What's a new marketing strategy or tactic you're looking forward to testing out in the new year? Hmm. 
<laughs> you can say a new one, like a lot, a lot of building on, on current ones. Um, I think, I think a lot more use of personalized video by okay. sellers. Love it. Uh, what's a tool or platform you use in your work that you couldn't live without? LinkedIn. Brilliant. What's your favorite business word or phrase or least favorite? <laughs> it's funny. My mind goes for least favorite. It goes to every overused prospecting email and, and LinkedIn message thing. All the... Uh, exploring synergies and and uh, these <laughs> troubling times and unprecedented unprecedented times and we know people in common and we walk in or we uh we operate in similar industries and and all, it's so I, I think uh, pdsd about all sorts of <laughs> cliche prospecting messages yes 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 all right uh next question what are some of the podcasts that you listen to most frequently Oh, I, I, there's quite a few I love. So um, I I think, well, maybe it was before the show. I was going to say I mentioned it earlier in the show, but I think it was when we were chatting before. Uh, Christopher Lockhead, uh, both um, both his uh, Lockhead on marketing and also uh, Think Different. Those are great. I love Reed Hoffman's, um, what the heck's it called? Masters uh, of Scale. Masters yeah. of Scale. Isn't it? It's, it, it's so different, right? Where, where Lockhead will just, just, you know, have a conversation for 90 minutes with someone and it's fascinating. Whereas Hoffman's is, is it's a craft, it's a work of art there. It's, it's a crafted storytelling exercise, which is great. Uh, the Saster podcast. I love that for just like in and out quick hit, um, learn some great stuff from some, some people who've built some great companies. So, uh, just off the top of my head, those are the first three that come to mind. Awesome. Love it. Uh, what is your favorite business or marketing book? Whew, wow. Um, I do read a lot of those. And I am, you know, I always struggle when people say, what's your favorite movie or what's your favorite song? Love movies, <laughs> love music. Hard time picking a favorite. I'm, I'm that way with, with business books. I mean, I've been, um, let me tell you, I couldn't tell you a favorite, to be honest. Let okay. me tell you, I'll just quickly, a few I've enjoyed recently um or the ones, he, that, the, the ones that you've constantly recommended to people could be another strategy yeah yeah so um dan heath uh, upstream um uh loon shots uh, uh safi bakal i believe is is the author of that loon yes. shots it's fantastic um that's one i'm gonna go back for another read um oh geez i'm blanking now Th those are two that i've read recently um the oh i just you know i do know i just finished it didn't jump on me it was uh shoe dog by uh, phil knight from nike um yeah. people have been telling me for years you gotta you gotta read shoe dog and i finally did um it was fascinating uh what a what a storyteller he is wow. uh, i've really enjoyed uh benioff's books like behind the cloud and, and and some of those ones as well i i love the stories of how salesforce really got started and and how like just the idea of of getting behind the scenes with a company that's now like a global behemoth like that and um how they were out there just like breaking all the rules in the early days and uh, so really and I, I think benioff is, is a brilliant uh 
brilliant leader and, and writer as well. So those those are among I, I don't know if any of those are my favorite, but those are some those are some recent ones I've enjoyed. I love it. And we haven't heard any of those on the podcast. So I like to get new recommendations. Uh, lastly, who's a B2B marketing expert that you admire on LinkedIn? Uh, well, right now, I mean, no question. I'm not alone in, in calling out Chris Walker. I mean, he he's crushing it. Um, I learn a lot from him. I'm inspired by him, not only the way he does LinkedIn, but much more deeply than that, the way he does marketing and the way, you know, you talk about mindsets and skill sets. Uh, so he's, he's bringing that really great. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've got tremendous respect for uh, Sangram Vajre at Terminus and Dave Gerhardt at Drift. But unfortunately, they do less on LinkedIn now than they used to because they both went off into their own monetized, like the peak community for Sangram and the Dave Gerhardt marketing community or whatever he calls it. And they kind of walled themselves off and and they bring less to LinkedIn these mm -hmm. days, which is unfortunate because I think both of those guys are brilliant as well. Yes. Well, I, we love all those guys. We, 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 we follow them as well and absolutely agree with you on that. Steve, thank you so much for this enlightening conversation, this delightful conversation. Um, we know you have to get going. So if anyone wants to get in touch with Steve, I think it's fair to say that you can reach him on LinkedIn. You can listen to this podcast. You can learn a lot from him. And we will see, uh, we will hopefully see you, Steve, here another time on Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point. And all those listening today, thank you for tuning in. And we'll come back at you with a new episode next week. Thanks, everyone. That was a lot of fun. Thanks, Gabby. Thank you, Thanks, Mike. Thanks for tuning in to the Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point podcast. Join us weekly for new episodes and seriously smart B2B marketing success stories. We'll show you the proof and get to the point every time. Find additional resources on the ProofPoint website, www.proofpoint.marketing, including the full episode library with show notes, guides, templates, and more great resources. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe and please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts.